Okay, you ready? Set. Hey, Sid. Hey, Dad. Uh, welcome to episode two of Murder on the Couch. Welcome back. Have you been mobbed by adoring fans when you've been out in public? It's ins- I can't even go outside. Really? It's uh, There's paparazzi. Yeah, there's, I know. It's, it's uh, really overwhelming. Welcome to my world. Yeah. Right? I don't know how you do it. Okay, so I have a funny therapist story to tell you. Oh, I have a story for you, too. Do you really? Yeah, I almost got hit by a train. Wait, that has nothing to do with therapy. <laughs> okay, I think we need to talk about that first. Should, do you, it kind of freaks me out a little bit, It though. was not good. Okay. So, did... <laughs> so I was going to this coffee shop the other day. Yeah. And all the reviews were like, oh, it's a hidden gem, you know, like, hidden gem, so cute. Yeah. The maps took me directly onto a train track. Like, Wait, I'm not even kidding you. And I was like, the lines started to look different than, like, the lines before. But in that moment, I was like, well, I don't really remember what the normal lines of the road look like. Because, like, this is all I see in okay, front but, of me. But you know? were the normal, were the lines you were now seeing, like, crisscrossed with wooden panels on well, them? Well, yes, but there was, like, cement. It was confusing. That's called a train track, though. <laughs> and so then, like, I look up and there was, like, genuinely a train in front of me. Okay. And, like, I don't even... In that moment, I was, like, actually just laughing because it was like, what is going on? And then I, like, turned to the right, and I'm not kidding you. I literally had to dodge, like, the sticks coming down. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that you feel safe enough to tell me that story, but but that that sounds like a lot. No, it was good. It was good? It was okay. fun. Did, did you end up making it to the coffee shop? No. Really? <laughs> no. I got there, and then it was like, I, I don't know. I was just, I wanted to go to one that I already been to before. Okay. That I can't really explain to you. <laughs> no, I don't. I didn't. I, I at least wanted to hear that. And you know what? It was amazing. No, it's still never been. Okay. Real hidden gem, I that one. I highly recommend if you want to go try that out again, that maybe have a friend drive. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Right? Okay. <laughs> I want to say then, you know, speaking of friends, today's thing has something to do with a friend, but it kind of doesn't. No. Um, but here's why I think that what we're... I Thank you for telling me that, by the way. You're welcome. But- yeah. Um, just because... I often talk, here's where the, we haven't even talked about the case yet, but I, I do tell people that it, it means you have a good relationship with your kids if they can tell you insane things like that. Because you know, I want to say, Sid, you could have gotten yourself killed and you shouldn't, but that's a given. I'm aware Exactly. Of that so part. then I'm grateful that you feel like you can tell me, <laughs> right? Does that make sense? Yeah. We, yeah, we yeah. got, we got a good, we have a good, good vibe. Bond. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I've told you this, but it, not too long ago, your brother said, oh gosh, guys, I forgot to tell you. I left the burner on the stove all day. And I just thought that really was kind of the similar thing where I thought, oh, I would have never told my parents anything. I'm like, you guys are still alive? Okay, right, good. exactly, right? Good but night. so, and I just, I thought, oh, cool, bro. Like, thanks for telling me. I mean, because I've done that too. So then I'm glad that you could tell me that you ran onto the train tracks. But just, <laughs> I would, I feel as if it would not be a good thing to do it again. Yes, thank you. I'm <laughs> very much aware of that. There we go. I don't plan on playing on the train tracks in my free time. <laughs> okay, that's a, a bit. That's a good moment. But what was your therapy? Story? Okay, so when this is going to sound a little bit, I don't. I hope it doesn't sound uh, egotistical. But I've been a therapist for a long time. Actually, how old are you? I know this. Twenty one. I, I had to think about it. I, too, right. So. I was about to say I've been a therapist longer than you've been alive, but I haven't. Uh, so I think I've been a therapist 16, 17 years. And when you start out as a therapist, you're just trying to get your hours. You have to get your college degree and then you have to get your master's degree and then you have to get 3000 hours as an intern. So you're just taking anybody that will come in. And so then you always have to go over all these things. So, you know, welcome to therapy and we have confidentiality except for certain situations. And the reason I'm setting this up is I've been fortunate enough to be in a position now where I can be a little more picky, a little more choosy with my clientele. So I, I often don't get new clients. So it's funny because now when I get one, I'm almost giddy and I feel bad because nobody comes into therapy just to, to pay somebody to say, hey, everything's great. But I'm sitting there going, 
it's so exciting to see you, you know, because I'm meeting this new person yeah. that I almost forget to go over the basics. And what you have to talk about is that everything you say to a therapist is confidential unless they tell you that they are going to hurt themselves or, and here's where the, th- like, oh, the sound effects, right? Or if you are going to help or hurt other people. And so then, and then that gets really specific. So if somebody says, you know, if somebody says, man, and I just want to go home and just, you know, murder my husband, they'll usually joke and say, I mean, not really. And I'll say, oh, okay, good. But I really don't think they're going to, but you have to, you have this thing and as a therapist called duty to warn. So if this, like in this hypothetical situation, if the woman said, no, I'm literally going to go home and murder my husband. I've got the gun in the trunk of my car and he gets home about 630. I've been making sure that he's pretty consistent with that. Uh, the kids are out at their grandmother's house. So, oh, I'm totally going to do it. Then guess what I have to do? Warn him. Yeah. Yeah. Which then it feels a little weird because it's like now I'm breaking confidentiality. And what if she's only kidding around or, you know? And it's kind of an insane judgment call for you to have to yeah. make, I'm sure. Yeah. It's like, are they joking? Are they mentally ill? Are they yeah. a murderer? Totally. And so, so then I love that what we're talking about today is a, it's literally because of a case that happened. And it's funny because as a therapist, you, you talk about their Tarasoff rights or Tarasoff warning. And I've always thought that Tarasoff was just some fancy psychology word. Sounds like a computer program. Yeah. Or it, right. But it turns out somebody's name. Yeah, this this case is about Tatiana Tarasov, and she is the reason why this confidentiality thing that you're talking about was ever put into place. Was so it's, because yeah. the system completely failed this girl, like completely failed her. It's so sad, like so many. So this is a stalking case. Okay, what we're going to be talking about today, and it's just insane how over and over again nobody warned this poor girl. Mm. And, and I, and I want you to know, I don't know about this case. And that's what I like about the dynamic that we're doing here is that I know of it, that that is a reason why we do duty to warn. But you already told me before that it's, it's pretty crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. is. So while I was researching it, it's only really well known in like the psychology space. The actual case itself. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of batshit to me when I was <laughs> reading more into it because it's really crazy. This uh-huh. guy was like a insane stalker and. It reminds me a lot of, have you seen You? Yeah, the, oh, yeah. I on have. Netflix? Do you like that? It, yeah. Okay. First of all, can we stop making serial killers hot? Okay. <laughs> Am I right? Is Am he, I is, right? Is he hot? Yes. I mean, he's, he's an attractive guy. Okay. Like, why are we doing that? It's so, it's such a mind. Yeah. Okay. So, so can I ask you on that note? Have you ever, did you watch a bunch of the things about Ted Bundy? Uh, yeah. He's. So- you can't put Troy Bolton as Ted Bundy. Are you kidding me? Well, because I was going to say they would always say Ted Bundy was so handsome. And then I would look at those pictures and I would think, was he? Nah, he no, he wasn't. Yeah, but no, Joe is on you. And then Troy Bolton, a high school musical. Is that who that was? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's, a, yeah, he's, a, he's an attractive so, man. Yeah. But so, um, so we're talking about duty to warn. And this guy, all I know is it, it, I think it had to do with he was like a college student in Berkeley. And so then that's literally all I know. So I'm going to sit back today and just do a lot of... Uh, Wow. And oh my gosh. You will be, trust me. Okay. So let's get into it. Okay. I do want to also point out that you are actually working off of the literal court case, the court document, which I think is really cool. Yes. And I've been doing a lot of research on this and this 
single court case document has more details than any of the podcasts I've listened to, any of the articles I've looked into. Like, this is legit. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. Well, and for the, anybody who doesn't really know, and we can put a link to this actually, right? Yeah. 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 Because it's, uh, it, it really is the, like, you know, the state of California versus the guy or whatever who got arrested for it. Hey, and while you're about to start too, the one last thing I'll say about the therapist piece, because I don't think this will come into play with anything we're talking about. So you have to tell yourself, yeah, there's three things. I'm going to break confidentiality if you're going to hurt yourself, others, and then there's been a lot as the population gets older, it's old people. So you almost have to call out or the elderly because of elderly abuse. But even the one about if you're going to harm yourself, I appreciate when you were saying earlier, it's almost like this judgment call mm-hmm. because it's that concept where if I say to somebody, have you ever thought about killing yourself? It's like, the reality is I feel most everybody has had the thought, you know, but I the, feel like I've thought every thought. Yeah. That's what know? I think. Yeah. And if I tell somebody right now, Oh no, I'm sure you haven't. Your own brain's probably like, Oh, well I'm thinking about it right now. Oh my gosh. I'm what's wrong with me? Ceiling. Right. And so even that has been interesting because early on in my career, if somebody said, man, sometimes I just, I just don't even want to live. You know, you're kind of going, Oh crap. Do I have to warn somebody? So then you talk it through more because as a therapist, you actually want a safe place for somebody to be able to say, Dude, and that's isn't that wild and that's crazy thinking about it like that because you have to make the judgment call yeah. am i going to tell somebody about this and potentially kind of put a stop in this person's recovery yeah it's it, honestly because i can remember without i mean i'll stay so far away from details but somebody a long time ago that i was working with and, and this person got really really animated they were emotionally overwhelmed in a session and they were just saying it and then i i really felt like it was you know one of the more intense times for somebody was saying she felt suicidal. And so I was saying, okay, you know what? I, I think this is the thing where I really need to check in with you and I might need to call somebody and she got even madder because, or they got even madder. I was going to try not to point out that it was a male or female, <laughs> but they got even more angry because they were saying, wait, I thought you were a safe place. Yeah. And I remember I can feel that in my gut today thinking about that, but the person did not, they ended up, they were in a bad relationship. And I, now I understand that they, you know, it's this concept where the body keeps the score with trauma. And if they didn't feel like they had an out to get out of an unhealthy relationship, the brain starts saying, okay, I've tried anxiety. I've tried depression. I've tried anger and you're still in it. What if I just throw out there onto your mind? Uh, okay. How about suicide? And instead of the person going, oh man, my brain is saying I got to get out, you know, cause it doesn't even want to be to live if I'm going to be in this relationship. But then when she's saying it, then all of a sudden I'm going like, oh, I don't know. Cause then if I would have broken that confidentiality. Now I know in that case, her husband would have totally used that against her for the kids. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's crazy. It's a really fine line you have to. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so that's why I do. I'm so curious about like the, so there's the, you know, if you're going to hurt yourself and now let's talk about if you're going to hurt others. Yes. Okay. Okay. So let's start off by talking about Tatiana Tarasov. Okay. She was born on the 22nd of January, 1949. So this is a long time ago. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm 53. I was born in 69. She was born in 49. So she would have been 73. She was born in Shanghai Municipality, China. Oh, I did not know that. And yeah, so she then moved to Brazil. And until she was 14, she lived in Brazil with her family. Wow. Her parents were, I think, Russian immigrants. Okay. And oh, wait, actually, let me pull this up on our court document. Okay. So she was born to Russian immigrant parents in China, and she came to the United States with her family in 1963 when she was 14 years old. From there, she attended the Merritt College in Oakland, (laughs) and she took a morning class in Berkeley. Okay. At the University of California, Berkeley, right? Yes. Which is a really smart school. Is it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, that's part of what when I found out that this all happened there, I just, I don't know why, but sometimes, you know, we we think these silly things where 
well, wait, smart people can't be this crazy. Oh, but they are. Yeah. They are. Sometimes even more crazy, I, I know, feel like right? you say. Yeah. Her parents were super strict. So she was growing up under a lot of that kind of pressure. Like they wouldn't let her wear makeup. They wouldn't let her hang out with all the people she wanted to. She could like only go places like with her brother and stuff. So mm -hmm. she would sneak out of the house to put on makeup and like all really? that stuff. Like she was, she was willing to be herself regardless of her parents holding her back. Just had to kind of, kind of do it on her own. Yeah. So one of the activities that her parents would let her do was go to these folk dances in oh. Berkeley. Okay. And this is where she's going to meet this stalker. Okay. What's okay. his name? I feel his like his name is Proshenjit Potter. Okay. And he is going to be. And Potter, I think I remember it's P-O-D-D-A-R because I won't, not like Harry Potter. No. Okay. <laughs> the opposite. Not Maybe we just call him Potter. Yeah, we could call Because I already forgot how to pronounce the other one. So, Tanya's parents would let her go to these folk dances only because her brother would drive her there and her brother would drive her back. Okay. So, he was with her the whole time. Her brother's name is Alex, by the way, and he'll be more pertinent to the story as we go on. So, at these dances, she met Prasen G. Potter. Let's talk about him. Okay. He is actually not from... America. He was from India. Okay. So he grew up in the lowest social class in India. They were known as the untouchables. Oh, wow. Yeah. So from some sources I looked at, it, it's very extreme, like no electricity, no running water, like that kind of situation. Yeah. So it was actually, he was one of only a handful of people in the untouchables to go to an American school. Oh, that was probably a big deal. Yeah. So it was a very big deal. Yeah. And I, it's unclear exactly why he got to. I would assume maybe he was exceptionally smart. I mean, that's what I was going to say. I would imagine because Berkeley is a really hard school to even get into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was a big deal for his family that he was getting sent over to America. I think his dad had to drop like 6,000 rupees or something oh, wow. to send him over. And it was a very big deal. And I guess how it was like... I mean, and I don't really know, but my guess was he was kind of the family's one shot at yeah. getting out of this oh, wow. social class. So that was, that was a lot of pressure. Yeah, because, I mean, when you're an untouchable, like, it's really hard to move up. Like, I think it's basically impossible. And it's hard for them to get the same, like, marriage rights, I guess, oh. and, like, job opportunities, like, okay. all that stuff. So this was a big deal. You know, when I was in the software industry, before I became a therapist, we did a couple of deals with a company that had some people from India that were programmers. And I remember being so fascinated because I learned that India has, at the time, I swear it was like 1.3 billion people, but it was only, I think it's the third of the size of the U.S. And at the time, the U.S. had, I think, three or 400 million in the whole country. Wow. So it's like they're, they're just packed, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's so sad. It's so sad. So, that, but so and just kind of even saying that. So this guy had a chance to change his and probably his entire family's life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's even sadder to think about his family in that position, like putting it all, his father putting it all out on the line. And then his son just goes and wow. does this. Potter is in Berkeley and he's Immediately already just very socially awkward. A lot of articles refer to it as like culture shock. Oh. Um, because I guess like dating is different in India, obviously. But I also think that it's very kind of messed up to water it all down to culture shock. Because mm. with the way that he was acting, I know that that's not protocol anywhere. I really hope it's not. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's funny too, Sid. And this is, I appreciate this. Got some good feedback from our first episode. We have a nice vibe because there's that part of me, the therapist in me that still wants to not give everybody this overall break. 
but the old they don't know what they don't know or you know but then i can't i'm with you i feel like at certain points though if he was good enough to be picked to come over to america from this untouchable class i would imagine that there was at least some common sense yeah yeah but i guess not yeah he was living on campus in college for naval architecture Naval architecture. So I don't like, even know what that is. I, don't, I feel like I was fancy. building uh, submarines or boats. Something like that. Some man thing. I don't know. A lot of sources actually said that it took Potter a year to even get the courage to go down to these folk dances. Okay. So he was he was really going through it before that, I guess. When he finally did is when he met Tanya. Tanya. Okay. And he just fell in love with her instantly. Oh. Just instantly obsessed with her okay so Mm -hmm. they i think they might have danced a little bit might have talked but he was ready to pursue her and she just wasn't that into it it's a trip too because if he was from this untouchable class and i'm and here look at me making this assumption that we're talking arranged marriage we're talking and now here he is in america and he's captivated at this folk dance by this beautiful tanya and and he's thinking this greatest thing ever Uh, i will have her yeah right he's enthralled by her he's he wants to be with her all the time and she's just not reciprocating the same feelings it's like yeah. awkward it is really awkward because you don't want to hurt the person but at the same time you don't want to lead them on and i'm sure that's a big thing that she was going through yeah. was like how do i let him off slowly or how do i you know oh there's a and it's funny because i love the fact that you edit my tiktok so maybe you've heard me like talk about this before <laughs> but there's a part where i feel like it is the kind person that sometimes finds themselves in these almost pursuer withdrawer relationships because if she would have been somebody that from the immediate start was just like no i, I said no then he would you know he's like geez okay and he's got but if she's like oh maybe i don't know okay in her defense though, yeah this guy is crazy oh it just no, straight up like, i don't even think no would have Okay. Done anything. So he just locked in. I, it's almost like he just didn't listen to what, like everything she said to him. Yeah. He just heard it as I like the opposite oh. of what it was. He was just missing every cue. He is immediately obsessed with her. So they dance together. They talk for a little bit. And did they have phones? Did he get her phone number? No. Well, okay. That's a funny, <laughs> this is back in the 60s. So he would have got her landline number. That's Isn't that funny? so weird. They start to see each other. They get along, but... It is a lot more on Potter's side than her side, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So he's thinking like, this is the most incredible thing ever. And she's like, we, 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 he's danced, thinking, we talk. I found my wife oh. and she's just casually talking to people, casually dating, just like talking to, you know, like yeah. she just, she goes to these dances every week, you okay. know? Okay. Yeah. So they start seeing each other like once a week up until New Year's Eve. And on New Year's Eve, they kiss in the elevator. Now, Potter clings onto this. Okay, this is my wife. We've when kissed. It's done. We've kissed. We were. She's pregnant. <laughs> you know. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Don't forget where you're going with this. Did you ever think that as a little kid? Yes, that's literally what I thought. Did you really? Yes. Okay. Do you still think that? <laughs> I have a bone to pick with you. You know why? Okay. If it if you think that we weren't just did the most amazing job at having the talk. Do you want to know where I got the birds and the bees? Everybody. Were you at the claim jumper or were you at the fish my- pond? favorite mexican restaurant oh did we like ruin that for you <laughs> never the same are you okay so never the same this is so funny because i have i have like told that you know because we would we would be very intentional about it right you remember that and we'd say hey we got a real cool date and you get to go out with mom and dad and we take you to your favorite place little <laughs> did i know it's gonna be changed forever and you're gonna hate it and every one of you guys and we would like tell you how it works yeah there was always like that what <laughs> 
oh, okay, now as a therapist said, it's called the relational frame that when you put something, two things together, they, they can be put together. Like now when I think of this, I think of that. Little did I know now that every time you think of Mexican food, do you My think of- My favorite wet burrito, I think of <laughs> children being made. <laughs> okay. Um, I, uh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. Okay. Look at this therapy session. I know. It's very, I mean, there's, and I'm, I'm sitting with the discomfort and saying, isn't that funny? Because I honestly thought that mom and I, we, I always thought we did a really nice job with that. But I think as we've talked with each one of you guys individually, it's been like, that was kind of crazy. <laughs> so I don't know if there is a way to, to say it. I don't know. This, see, this is why I'm never having kids is because I don't want to have to figure out how to do any of this. <laughs> I'm cool. Oh, wait, was it Cafe Delicious? It was La Via. Oh, La Via. So good. Okay. Locals. Yeah. Victor Lavia. I think you owe Sydney uh, lots free of meal? free burritos to get her back in good graces, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. Where were we? Well, that they kissed each other. So you said that then he's like, oh, she's pregnant. Oh, yeah. So he's okay. obsessed with her. And at this point, she gives it to him straight. She's like, I'm not really interested in you. I'm, I'm talking to other guys. You know, like this isn't a serious oh. thing. He's like, we kissed. Yeah. He doesn't take no for an answer at this point he just he recoils and recoil is that the right word that's a great word he's like a hermit okay, okay. so he's just staying in his room all the time okay. he starts missing work he starts missing classes like people are saying like his eyes almost had like a glaze over them oh, wow and he was just obsessed with this girl who wanted nothing she had to rejected do with him. him yeah okay is this where then i forgot the whole thing where is this where now he goes and sees a therapist almost okay Okay. But not yet. At this point, Potter had already sent a letter home to his parents saying that he had met the love of his life. Oh. Saying like, oh yeah, like her parents already want to know me. Like, Oh, so he was lying. He was lying. Fully lying. Okay. She, they were in zero relationship at this okay. point. It was like a happy new year kiss. Yeah. Caesar at a dance every now and again. Sees him. And then, but he wrote already, we're in, we're, we're, this is it. Which thinking about it now- like we were talking about earlier, maybe he felt like he had something to prove to his parents back at home or something. I mean, part, part of me wonders because that untouchable stuff. I mean, I can't lie. During one of the your pee breaks, which we have a few, um, right? Uh, we be peeing, right? <laughs> but I like just I was looking at one of the notes and it just said that I didn't realize those untouchables. It said that he was one of the only people that ever left India yeah. to come to the U.S. Okay, so I can so. imagine that he's got to like do make everybody proud again. Not trying to excuse the behavior. No, yeah, I'm yeah. not at all. It, in fact. There's no excuse for this. It's creepy. Tanya is just not into it. It's not working. And he doesn't know what to do. So instead of like a normal person moving on to someone else or, you know, getting on Tinder, they didn't have Tinder. (laughs) That's funny. They didn't have anything like that. He instead became best friends with her brother. Alex. Oh, he's going to take what the end around there. Yeah. He's getting in any way that he can. He really is, huh? Yeah. So he meets Alex and it's funny how they meet. Okay. So they meet because Podar is calling the landline to Tanya's house Uh and Tanya wants nothing to do to it. Oh, but who else is going to answer? Exactly. Alex. Yeah. Tanya wants nothing to do with it. So she hands the phone off to her (laughs) big brother and he tells Podar off. He's like, don't talk to my sister. She doesn't want you. Like, Leave her alone. Then would just Potter say, man, you know what? You sound like a nice guy. I think you, I, I understand. You're like, hey, what are you doing later? Right. Like the sound of that voice. Oh, don't you wish we knew, like had recordings of those kind of calls? Yeah, that would be really crazy. So they had that fight over the telephone. And then 
Podar actually asked if they could meet in person. He and Alex? Podar, Alex, and Tanya. Oh. Alex says yes, and they meet at a gas station a few blocks away from Tanya's house. And apparently, Potter had written down on a piece of paper a list of things in which he thought Tanya was insulting him. Oh, he's going to start gaslighting. And so Alex is looking at this list and he's like, what is this? Like, Alex explains to him that these aren't things that are a problem. Okay. Um, maybe that's part of that culture. Well, okay. So another thing I was looking at that, the untouchables, they do arrange marriage. And so I wonder if he was saying, oh no, I will be marrying you. And she said, and she said, no, we've been on dates and and she's not. Yeah. yeah. So then if he's saying, you don't understand, she kissed me and I told her I want to marry her. So therefore she can't insult me. We must be married. So they have this little altercation at the gas station. And you would think that it would end there, but Alex takes Tanya to one of the dances again, and Potter is there again. Okay. And he invites them up to his room. Potter does? Yes. They go and says, he showed Alex a series of electronic inventions of his, which interested Alex. And thereafter, the two men became close friends. Oh, so he just said, okay, I get it. I'm not being very nice to your sister, but check out these things I've made. You want to play with my toys? (laughs) Alex and like a guy does it's like well those are kind of cool toys (laughs) yeah literally so at this point they become close friends and they move in together so now Podar is living with Alex wow Tanya's brother and he at this point is still so obsessed with Tanya Alex says that he remembers an incident in 1969 the same year that they met when Potter was talking about, I guess, some money that somebody owed Alex, uh-huh. and Alex commented that if he didn't get the money paid back to him, he would beat the other person up. Okay. Potter's response to that was that he wouldn't beat them up, he would kill them. Whoa. Yeah. If he killed someone, he would turn himself in and take the penalty for it. Alex owned a pellet gun, and he also remembers another occasion where Potter asked him if you could use this gun to kill a person. Wow. Alex said he didn't know, and Potter said, where can I get a regular gun? So there's already just so many, like... Red flags. Yeah. Alex told him that he didn't think he could get one, and it just kind of stopped there. Okay. So while they were living together, Potter was not quiet about his love for Alex's sister. He would tell Alex how in love he was with his sister, and that he wanted to marry her, that he was so obsessed with her. It was very clear to the people around Potter that he was not acting okay. So at this point, one of his friends tells him, hey, I think you should see a psychologist. Interesting. And he actually does go and sees a psychologist. And I think that in this one too, because I remember just from the little bits I looked over, they do talk about psychiatrist, which is the one that can prescribe medications. And then sometimes I read psychologist, which is one that more does like clinical assessments and talk therapy. So I'm with you. He saw some mental health professional. This is where Uh, the system just completely fails Tanya. Okay. Because at these sessions, I think his therapist was Dr. Moore. Yeah. James Moore. James Moore. Okay. He was talking about wanting to kill Tanya. He was very clearly showing, you know, that like he was not okay. Yeah. And Dr. Moore talked about how he was going back and forth at this point. Like, do I tell someone? Do I keep it to myself? And he didn't know what to do. And I guess his rule of thumb at that point was you can't predict future violence if there isn't past violence. Yeah. And so he he had not killed anybody so far. He really hadn't even had much violent. He hadn't had any police reports or anything like that. I hate that concept because it's like, then we're just going to be cleaning up messes forever. I know. And it's it's so... 
the core if you don't No, and it's so crazy too sid because i still i can only think of it from the lens of from day one of graduate school you're told duty to warn duty to warn and so i can't even imagine what's that stuff called where it's like you try to put today's stuff on it's called i think it's called presentism so then we try to go back and lay out you know what we know now at that time and so there was nobody talking about duty to warn like this is the reason why there is duty to warn so it's just such a trip to think, I don't know if he was even talking to other therapists. I don't know if he had a consultation group. I don't know if he had a mentor, you know, so at some point was this just all him going back and forth. Sources said that at this point, he was even recording conversations with Tanya. Whenever they would hang out, he would record the entire conversation wow. and then go back and listen to it later. Wow. It said he was like looking for inconsistencies in their friendship. To try to prove to her that she was... In love with? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, So, at this point, his therapist is concerned. They think that he was showing signs of schizophrenia. Oh, wow. That's a whole different thing. I'll tell you that here you can edit this out or in or whatever. Mm -hmm. But so, what's fascinating is I have worked with a couple of people that I would say do experience those concepts of like paranoia around paranoid schizophrenic. So, I had one one time that just had mentioned that they were around a bunch of people and one of the people that was talking mentioned something about a particular color of shirt. And this guy was wearing that color of shirt. So then it, it's interesting because he just said, so obviously the guy was talking about me. And he said, and so at that point, then the client said, and since he was talking about me, then I could tell that everybody else understood that too. And then they all started laughing at the story he was telling, which meant they were laughing at me. And he said, and then finally, I just, I'd had enough. And so that concept around paranoia can be really, really woven into everything. So the person's mm -hmm. creating this narrative that just fits the concept that everybody is out to get them or yeah. talking about them. It's kind of, it's really scary to think like what was going on in his head. Like if he were to tell this story, oh, yeah. it would be so different. And For real. Like he'd be like, oh yeah, she looked at me for half a second and I knew. that, And that's it. I knew. Yeah. She wanted me. Totally. And this is that thing. It's called, it's actually called uh, nonviolent communication, but where we make an observation and we put in our own judgment to try to make sense of something. So it's like, if he observes her, then he makes the judgment of, well, she likes me too. She's just afraid to admit it. So then if she does anything other than says, oh yeah, I like you. I'm just afraid to admit it. Then he even tells himself, she's not even being honest with herself. You know, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. You have to separate your observation from your judgment because then you can have a little more curiosity, but that's, you have to actively work on doing that. There was actually a letter written to the campus police okay. that said, he's not okay. Like he's a danger to other people. Okay. And the campus police go to Alex and Potter's apartment and they interview him and they declare that he's okay. Mm. Oh, because he just says, no, I'm good. I get it. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'll, I'll back off. So at this point, this letter is just, it's, it's dropped. It's destroyed. It's, oh. he's let go and nobody warned Tanya. Okay. Nobody warned anyone. And that's the part where it's just so crazy. It's like, even if there was this interview and even if he talked his way out of it, does she not have the right to know that he's yeah, right. literally talking to his therapist about, about trying to kill her. her? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like so unfair because it's like from her side of it, I'm sure she was already terrified of yeah. this guy. There's even more. He would wait at her bus stops. Oh. He would follow her home, like trying to meet her wherever he could. And I wonder what Alex was like at that time being his roommate. 
in him because I would imagine if he's recording her and he's telling his therapist and he's stalking her that I would imagine he couldn't not talk about her. Exactly. And that's the thing that I don't really understand is he was talking about her. Yeah. It says right here that he would tell Alex about his obsession with his sister. And Alex just said he didn't think that Potter would keep his word. So his initial roommate, Mystery, would be one of the guys that he would tell a lot about his unrequited love with Tanya to. Mm. And Mystery recounted an incident where Potter threatened to take Tanya's life. Mystery told Potter that he felt compelled to report it to the police. And all Potter said was, in that case, I'll have to kill you too. Whoa. What are you going to do about it? Wow. So I guess that must have shut him up for the yeah. time being. As it, you know, can't yeah. blame someone too much right. at about this time. He also told a fellow co-worker that he would get even with Tanya by blowing up the block on which she lived. He later even talked about blowing up her house and finally blowing up her room. So, okay, are you telling former roommates, current roommates, his uh, psychiatrist, his psychologist, her co-workers? Brother. Yeah. And somehow she still <sighs> doesn't know. Yeah. Like, It's just, it's really upsetting. So, Tanya leaves for Brazil in June of 1969. Tanya gets back from Brazil. This is in September. Potter is not seeing the psychologist anymore. Mm. So, he's just a pit of nothing at this point. He spends hours in his room crying. He's just, he's an absolute mess. A pit of nothing. First uh, reference that would make a good name for an alternative band. There you go, yep. Rock and roll. And at this point, too, it's funny, not funny, it's sad, but I've had those clients before where when they come in, all they want you to do is tell them they're right and then tell them that they're justified in whatever it is they want to do. And when you don't, then they stop seeing you. So, I mean, when he says he stopped seeing the psychologist, I would imagine it's because the psychologist is probably telling him, yeah, that's not cool. Yeah, like she doesn't love you, bro. Yeah, exactly. Move on. if it's not validating him, then he doesn't want to hear it. Exactly. Which is not what therapy is all about. Challenge and self-confrontation and all that stuff. Have you ever had a good experience with someone sending somebody else to therapy? Because I feel like part of it, you kind of have to choose to go by yourself, right? So, okay. You know what? I honestly, I love that question because my initial response would be no, because the person has to want it. But then one of the things I like about being a therapist is if somebody comes in, I will often say, I don't have a magic wand. I don't have a magic pill. So if you're going to be here, then let me just ask you questions. Let's get to know you. And then often I think if the person feels like therapy isn't a bad experience, then they're willing to come a little bit more and then you can start to ease into what help would look like. So I have now, I can say I've had good experiences like that, but I've of course never had anything like this. But you kind of do have to want to change. Oh, you do. Oh, you totally do. And some people do come into therapy basically without even understanding what it is and just wanting somebody to validate them. Because so often people that are just walking around, like in this scenario, if you were just walking around telling everybody, this girl doesn't love me, but she should because she's done all these things and I've told, and I'm the best for her and I would be amazing. That then they're so used to everybody either tuning them out or telling them, yeah, but you need to understand. So all you do is you go to a therapist who says, man, that sounds hard. And then they say, oh, see, he gets it. He understands. So you, you can see all kinds of things when somebody doesn't really, if they're not really there to try to improve. So at this point, Potter is following her to every bus stop, won't leave her alone. He's stalking her. But I guess no one could do anything about it because there wasn't violence. Yet. Oh, right. Oh, that's Crazy. sad, too. That one is. Yeah. What are the police even? For? I don't just don't understand that. On the Friday before the killing, Alex, the brother and Potter had a fight over the fact that Potter wasn't going to his work. And Alex punches him and oh. like knocks him over. Now we move on to the murder. Okay. 
So this is October 27th, 1969 in the morning. Podar is literally stalking the house. He's, it's said that he was like waiting outside a bush or something. Wow. And he goes up, he knocks on the door and asks for Tanya and Tanya's not home. So his mom answers and his mom, everyone knows who this guy is sure. at this point. Yeah. You know, like he is a target in this family. So the mom tells him off. She's like, she doesn't want you. Get out of here. Like, leave my daughter alone. And he leaves for about three hours. Tanya's mom said that he just looked so shady. He was wearing a hoodie and he had his hands in his pockets the whole time. And he wouldn't move them out of his pockets. Oh, he knew Tanya's entire schedule at this point. Oh, I'm sure. So he yeah. knew that evening Alex and the mom would be gone because I think they were like taking her sister to ballet practice or something. Oh, okay. So Podar knew that she would be alone in the house. So that night he comes back after waiting out in a bush for the rest of her family to leave. Mm. He walks up to the door, knocks and asks for Tanya and Tanya obviously does not want to see him she's not happy to see him and she's telling him off and at this point he pulls out a gun and oh. shoots her and she like tries to you know save herself at this point like attack him or something and then he stabs her to death wow right yeah. that right there in her like front porch right on her front porch wow I wonder, do you know if anybody responded or? It wasn't even that late at night, I don't think. There yeah. was like three witnesses, like so oh. many of the neighbors, like a little neighbor boy saw her, like saw the whole struggle. Like wow. everyone heard it. Wow. He walks into the house, picks up their landline and calls the police and says, I just murdered my girlfriend. Whoa. Turn me in. Wow. Okay. Not your girlfriend. Nope. That's a trip. So they come arrest him. How did it come out about the duty to warn? So then did the family so, sue? Yeah. So the family was very upset at this point. Everything started coming out about the okay. psychiatrist and all of this information. There's a fancy lawyer word for it Okay. that I think I wrote down somewhere. No, I just wrote laws change. Laws okay, change. Let's Pre uh, a new precedent was set or something. So Tarasov's parents sued Moore and other employees at the university who were in charge of all of this. Mm -hmm. And Podar was then convicted of second degree murder. This is when that law came to pass. Okay, the Tarasov duty yeah. to warn. Wow. So in that, everything was good. Um, I mean, I'm sure it, is, it has saved a lot of lives over the years. But this is crazy to me too, because this is the case that made this Tarasov law, right? Yes. Tell me why Podar is out of prison and he only served four years. Really? Out on manslaughter, and they sent him back to India, and he's married to an attorney. Whoa. With a kid. I did not see that coming. I sometimes want to even go look it up and say, man, I wonder if like, you could write him a letter in prison right now. But he's he got he's out after out. four years. He's out. And so I guess that it was something that had to do with the jury. It wasn't even with the actual case. Oh. It had been inadequately, inadequately, oh, inadequately instructed. instructed. Oh my goodness. And they let him go. And this part is just such, so mind boggling to me because he is the reason. If you look up the Tarasov case, if you look up why this law was created, yeah. the guy who murdered her is out. <laughs> so we, if, oh, okay. So you could like interview him maybe. And it's like, oh, I mean, I, hopefully he's not. Want to call in? No. Hell no. I don't. Or, but I, I appreciate, I think you laid out a nice 
case of that it seemed like almost everybody knew that he was this stalker, this pariah, from the therapist to the cops to the brother to the friend to her family to Tanya. And so it is interesting. I'm not saying that then the therapist is the one that took the brunt of it. I mean, I know that all this had to happen in essence so that then this law was passed. But it does seem like there's a lot of people that knew. Yeah. And this was a long time ago, but I still see this happening yeah. with cases today, especially with cases of stalking. Yeah. The police won't do anything until Til. there's violence. Yeah. Which is like, what are you, are we just hoping that they're not good at murder? It is, we it is weird. Yeah. It's, I really wish that they would take these kind of cases more seriously. There is starting to, because, you know, I do so much with narcissism and personality disorders. And I remember doing an episode a few months ago. There are some states that are starting to pass more of these like restraining orders, peaceful contact restraining orders. So you don't even have to have a physical abuse to then be able to file a restraining order. But then there are people that are arguing that, okay, what if the person is just being like if the person filing the restraining order is doing it just to be, you know, difficult, yeah. or is it the person that is being difficult than having the restraining order filed against them? But again, with the population I work with, I would rather have somebody default to give them the restraining order than not. Yeah, it's all situational, which makes it hard. So hard. But but I you're right it was though. A step in the right direction. Yeah, but the part where then I, I mean, I've literally had clients that have been trying to get out of like really bad relationships, and it sounds so bad to say this, but then the person will get hit. You know, the other one will get really drunk and then they'll come in and they'll hit him or push him. And then they almost call that like this, the golden ticket, because now the cops are involved and then it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Now they can get the restraining order and they, you know, they feel justified in filing for divorce or. It's just such a, a mind fuck that you have to get <laughs> it is. hurt before you can get protected. It is. But, but, and I think as you remember in the, even in the Abby Choi case, and then a lot of the, even a lot of the TikToks that, that we've been doing and stuff that the emotionally abusive person creates a trauma bond and they give the person just enough peace that then they start to feel like, well, it's not that bad. But then the person that is the narcissist or the emotionally immature just is relentless. And, and it, they just becomes, they're trying to figure out any way to get into that person's life. Like yeah. being friends with her brother. Exactly. Yeah. Or then the police come over and he's like, no, I get it. It's probably this letter I wrote. You know, it's, I, I get it. It's, Poor it's okay. Alex, he must have felt so I, I, I appreciate you saying that because I feel bad about that too. Yeah. Cause like part, like there was a couple of times where I'm telling this where I almost want to like shit on him a little bit, but yeah. I, I can't because I just, there's no way, you know, he could have, there's no way he was aware. Yeah. I mean, maybe he was, I don't know. I this, know. All this stuff is so crazy. I mean. Does your, so when you say like what you were wanting to poop on him, my, my, does your ADHD picture everything and like now I can't help but think of you doing that, which I think is kind of interesting. I <laughs> Did I even say that? I don't even, I don't even know what I say. Yeah. I just speak well, you didn't say and poop. deal with the repercussions. <laughs> um, but, I, but I'm glad we said that though, because I feel like that's the part where I have felt as well of, I can't imagine how he feels. I cannot even imagine because in hindsight, you know, part of the grief and loss, I don't know if you heard this, the stages of grief and loss, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. The bargaining phase is often when you go back and say, man, I could have done something. I should have done something different. And people will beat themselves up about that for years. Like I do deal with that in therapy quite often. And you can't, you know, it isn't productive or helpful. Okay. So then on the notes on the case, so I did do just a real quick dive as a therapist. And I thought this was interesting. So Potter saw Dr. Moore seven times. And then on that seventh therapy session, so this was August of 69. So he killed her in 
October. I think it was October yeah, 22nd October 27th. or 27th. Potter already confessed that he planned to kill Tanya. And then he diagnosed Potter of having an acute and severe paranoid schizophrenic reaction. And then I thought this is interesting. He and two other doctors then determined that Potter should be committed to a psychiatric hospital. And that's when they contacted the police. But then that was when the police only briefly, you know, they went and had the conversation. And, and it, yeah, and they let him go and because he said, I won't do it anymore. And so here's where from the therapist angle, things get a little sketchy that it says following Potter's release from that detainment, not from four years later from prison, but this uh, Dr. Harvey Powelson, who was Dr. Moore's supervisor, then he instructed the police to return the letter from Dr. Moore, instructing them to detain Potter, ordered that the letter and all the notes that the therapist had taken on Potter be destroyed, and instructed Dr. Moore to take no other action in detaining Potter. So that was like the the Moore, um, the Dr. Moore's boss said, okay, if you guys aren't going to do anything about it, then let's destroy all the notes. Let's tuck it under the rug. Yeah. Kind of so thing. I feel like that should have been something there too, right? So then the doctors who examined Potter then never even notified Tanya or any of the family about his threatening statements. And then Potter never went back to therapy and then killed her as planned. It's just so messed up because, like I said before, she obviously was already scared of him. The family was already scared of him. Yeah. But they didn't know that they were getting threats for their house to be blown up. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's even, like, the mom and the dad probably would have wanted to know that, too. You know, there's, I would think so. you know, there's just bomb threats to your house, but confidential. Yeah. It's really, really crazy. I also wanted to add this in. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't kill her with a regular gun he killed her with a pellet gun oh so that just kind of like pushed like took her by surprise or yeah and i don't i can't find anything on here but if i remember right the only person who had a pellet gun was alex Alex. and alex told him that he had no other way of getting a gun so i don't know if that's the gun that was used wow if it is that's just even more sick and twisted and sad yeah So, Sid, now every single time I get a new client and I say, hey, uh, duty to warn, I'm going to point them. I'm going to (laughs) duty. I'm going to point them to this episode. Yes. Okay. So, uh, we wrapping it up? (laughs) So, uh, how's the weather? It's actually not very good. It's raining. It's sunny though right now. It is. Yeah. I wore shoes. Well, it doesn't matter. I say that, that get wet. Please, please delete that part. Okay. You could make me sound like a complete buffoon too. You know that, Should right? Should I edit something really weird right oh, now? Oh, please. Make you say the most out-of-pocket sentence ever. No. And this, <laughs> I noticed that this episode, we didn't say any phrases that I didn't know. Like, I think I think I could even probably take a guess at what out-of-pocket means as well as other things. You want to take out-of-pocket? That no. one's easy. Um, yeah, I know what it is. So anyway, uh, thanks, Sid. Murder on the Couch, number two, done. Really blew me off with that one. Because <laughs> I'm worried that what if I really don't know what it means? <laughs> That's fair. Right. Okay. All so right. Uh, no we'll, one's watching anymore. No, exactly. So um, we'll We're see you next week. Oh, subscribe and like and all that stuff. That's funny. Uh, people don't really say that anymore, though, right? I don't know. Do but, your thing. Oh, yeah. I would be grateful. We were featured on Apple's something. That was kind of fun. Yeah. Did you care about that when I sent that to the family group chat thing? No, I don't even. I don't know. Do you even know what I'm talking about? No, I do know what it is, but I feel like part of me's like they just put it on there for you to see it so you would okay think. now are you that's like you know is that I mean? paranoid a little bit or okay because so we were featured okay this is funny the, we were featured on the like uh 
exciting or upcoming trailers on the Apple Podcast app, which I went and checked again today. So it's gone now because they only do like 10. But if you look at the podcast numbers from this pod news that I get every day, there are thousands of new podcasts every cool. day. This is cool. But when I, I did, you showed me and then I looked on, I clicked on my podcast app and I scrolled and I scrolled and I couldn't find it. But it was on the, did you go to the trailers thing? No. Right. It was cool that we were on the trailers thing. Do you think that I photoshopped it? <laughs> that would be funny. That would if I if I knew how that might have been kind of fun, but I didn't. What was funny is mom had said, "What's it? When's the podcast coming out?" And I was kind of like, um, "It's like a couple of days ago." But then, this is really cool, right? Here's the here's the trailer thing. I did. I have gone and looked a couple of times to see if we've made the top 200 in true crime. Which that I don't think that would be the case because there are over 20,000 true crime podcasts. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, so we appreciate everybody that has tuned in, and we will see you next time. Bye, guys. On Murder on the Couch. Dun, dun. Cue the cool music. Dun, dun.